I am Douglas Little, founder, perfumer, and creative director for Heretic Perfume. You are listening to the I Am Heretic podcast. These podcasts are an exploration of the senses with a focus on fragrance, how it's made, the effects it has, and the incredible people it has led me to meet. Anjanette, thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to jump into this conversation about frankincense, which is one of my absolute most favorite materials, here to really shed some incredible light on uh, the subject of both the mystical and miraculous aspects of this incredible tree is Anjanette DiCarlo. Can you tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about you and how you managed to find this beautiful, beautiful material. Yeah. So, well, thanks for having me here today. I love to talk about frankincense and I love to talk about trees. Trees are one of the most important things in our lives, whether we recognize that or not, because they give us food, fiber, medicine, oxygen, and they take up carbon dioxide. They also create habitat for thousands of other species to survive. And so trees, I have a love affair with trees. And so as an environmental scientist and an anthropologist, I'm a hybrid because working on today's complex environmental and social problems, we have to think transdisciplinary. And so it's not enough for me just as a a lady doctor to understand the ecology or the science of the trees, also need to understand what's happening in the communities and the culture around the trees, as well as the supply chain. I teach in the Sustainable Innovation MBA program at the University of Vermont and work with students to to look at strategies and challenges for bringing together socially responsible, environmentally responsible sourcing of botanicals and and non-timber forest products um, in high demand, right? Mm. So frankincense is really having a renaissance in terms of being in high demand. And it has historically gone through high points and low points in terms of its trade, but it's been traded for thousands of years. In fact, frankincense is considered the longest continuously traded natural commodity known to humanity. One of the recurring themes in the historical use of frankincense is using it for the boswellic acids that are in these resins. Most of the species have it, not all, but the use of those anti-inflammatory components, these boswellic acids, is something that's been used medicinally and medically, whether it's Islamic medical traditions, Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine, or local applications. So almost everywhere these trees grow in in their natural environments, the local folks use the resins. In fact, I've caught baboons eating resin off trees that were intended to be research samples. (laughs) Yeah, because the animals even get in on it. If it was the end of the world and I had one meal and one essential oil, I would definitely pick frankincense as being the one. Um, I think because of it having so many applications. And what's interesting too is, you know, I've I've researched and studied frankincense for so long. I think, you know, growing up in a fairly uh, Catholic 
uh, Irish Catholic household, uh, you know, the story of the Magi and the story of frankincense and myrrh was very, you know, it was very present every Christmas it came around and it was always very front and center, which always really piqued my curiosity as to what this material was about, you know, started my, my journey into perfume, you know, frankincense obviously really stood out as I had some type of a cornerstone to reach back to that it had some type of, I could understand you know, it's reference point because a lot of these materials, they seem so foreign and so abstract and frankincense has got this interesting root because of its religious and, and its mystical associations that a lot of people can identify with it. But beyond that, I mean, it's use across so many different from it being a anti-inflammatory uh, and antifungal, antibacterial. And then I think in the past few years, it's seen this huge boom from it being an alternative cancer therapy, uh, which I believe is, you know, we'll dig into that from the boswellic acid being the contributing factor to why it does that. Um, you know, it obviously being used heavily in aromatherapy and in the perfume world, it's just having this huge boom. And, um, and I think with all of that, it led me to conversations with my team about the materials that we're using and about their sustainability, how they're being harvested. Sandalwood being one of the ones that's definitely, I think got a lot of a big spotlight on it. Palo Santo now has got another huge spotlight on it being, you know, over, over, harvested, overforested, all of these things. And frankincense is, is high up there as well. Can you explain a little bit about the deforestation of the frankincense forests and about your part in it and about the education that you do? Yeah, absolutely. And if you'll, um, if you'll allow me, I just want to say that um, these trees are extraordinary because they're growing in harsh environments where there's very little water, very little rain, very poor soils, you know, don't have a lot of organic nutrients in the soil, on rocks and rocky outcrops, and yet they're producing 300 plus phytochemicals within the resins. And, and that in and of itself is just amazing to me. And so I, I like to tell people, why is the tree doing that? Like, what is the role of this resin uh, for the tree? And the resin is the tree's immune system. The trees have incredibly thin bark and under that bark run resin canals that transport the resin up and down the tree so that if there's any physical breaks, a branch falls off or a boring insect bores into the tree, the resin comes and forms a band-aid over that cut or scrape or hole. It will trap the insect in it and stop it from penetrating into the, into the tree. And so the, the resin's a physical barrier or band-aid for the tree. And then, as you alluded to, the antimicrobial, the antibacterial, the phytochemicals within the resin are antibacterial, are antifungal, and protect the tree from other pathogens that might try to get in when it's been cut, when it's been opened up. And so the, the resin is the tree's immune system. And since the trees were here before us, and as is the case between human beings, homo sapiens, and many trees, we evolved alongside of the plants. And so the phytochemistry in plants and the, and the use of many of these constituents that the plants are producing are also good for us because we evolved alongside of the plants. They right. were, they were here before us. The demand that we're seeing now is 
a is a new wave in the in the history of frankincense, right? So you had these highs where it was traded through Petra and brought into uh, the ancient uh, uh, Greek and Roman empires, and then adopted into the churches and burned. And so, with these highs and lows, uh, right now we're seeing a high, and that high in the modern context is a supply chain that is still very antiquated to today's pressures. It's it's still an ancient supply chain. You still have places where you know, you're moving sacks of frankincense via camel because you just can't get to how remote the location is where it's coming from. Or you have actors at the base of the supply chain who are not aware of what their resins are going to be used for in the international market or even what the heck is the international market doing. One time I had this experience, I I brought a bottle of frankincense oil to give to a gift to a chief in Somalia. And he, he took the bottle, he opened it and he smelled it. And he really stared at me deeply. It was a, it seemed like forever because it was an awkward silence. And he said to me, woman, how did you get my tree in a bottle? And what that said to me was he did not know that his resins were leaving and they were going to be made into essential oils. When you have this not level playing field, it's not a level playing field. When you have people at the base of the supply chain, not engaged, not empowered in the commodity exchange of the resin, they're at such a disadvantage that that can lead to either predatory buying practices and or to the urge to overtap because you're talking about folks in a lot of cases, not all range states, but in many cases, living in adject poverty. In some instances, we're talking about the world's poorest countries and the poorest of the poor within those countries are oftentimes the folks who harvest and sort frankincense. In the situation, if you or I were living on the edge and I have a resource in my backyard, I'd probably overtap it too, um, to be able to eat, to be able to get some clothes, to make, you know, to take care of my children, to get water. And so when folks are in poverty, when folks are not empowered with knowledge in their supply chain. And then you have folks in the international end of the supply chain who are very well educated and are not living in poverty. You have such an imbalance Mm -hmm. that there's a lot of missed opportunities for cooperation around sustainability and about um, increasing the fertility of trees and forests and people rather than decimating trees and forests and people. And so there's a real need for approaching the frankincense supply chain with a new mindset for the international community. There's a real need to modernize, get out of this neo-colonialist mindset and work collaboratively um, with the communities that source these precious resins for us to enjoy in our um, our anti-arthritis patches, our beautiful perfumes or essential oils, our anti-aging face creams. As you said, many, many end uses for frankincense because it is the king of essential oils. Within the sustainability, I've done a lot of, you know, making noise 
about the unsustainable tapping of trees, but very closely linked to the mistreatment of communities, right? Because like I said, back to people living in poverty, you can't just, I can't just walk in there and say, oh gosh, how how terrible of you to overtap these trees uh, to folks who are living on the edge. And so the, the solution is in the collaboration and the transparency for us to, to really be much more transparent and be willing to uh, treat folks at the base of the supply chain as empowered partners instead of in a colonialist mindset. Um, it is really operating as a neo-colonialist situation. I, that I, I want to stop you for a second and, and grab on to that. One, I wanted to, I really wanted to shed some light on this because I think that people, you know, especially when you get to fragrance, it's very easy for a person to disconnect the concept of the product that's been so beautifully packaged and whatnot from where the source materials are coming from. And, you know, frankincense being one of the materials that I really love to work with, I really wanted to, you know, bring this forwards and talk about it, not only from sustainability, but also its effects uh, on mind, body, spirit. But drilling into the sustainability efforts and how you work and and what your mission is and your education, how can listeners, you know, take this information and be actionable with it? You know, you hear these, you hear the story and, you know, like, again, I'm bringing sandalwood into it because I'm familiar with that thread. Sandalwood, the Mysore forests were being, you know, decimated. And now there's all of these great new opportunities for being able to actually, uh, certifications and ways that you know that when you're buying that sandalwood oil that it's coming from either new growth or it's coming from places that are giving back to the migrant workers that are doing this work that's very laborious and requires a lot of training how can someone have that connection to know that the frankincense that they're getting is not you know from one of these over harvested or or how how do they know this I mean, this is such a great point, and this is pervasive in our society for us to not know what are the impacts at the sourcing or manufacturing of something, what those impacts are, what's happening at source. So times are changing. And, you know, newer generations now, they want to know where things come from. One of the things to be able to identify is, are you hearing information that's greenwashing or are you hearing information that's factual that can that has um you know teeth to it and so what do i mean by that so there are third party certifications that are one route that are quite valid yeah so consumers are really used to organic certified that's it's got a lot of consumer awareness and people recognize it some of the certifications for sustainability are a little less recognized by the consumer base. So in the case of frankincense, you have Fair Wild, which is specifically for wildcrafted products, which frankincense is wildcrafted from wild trees. There are very, very few nurseries and experimental plantations in, in the world. And so 99% of frankincense is coming from wildcrafted trees that grow in forests. I like to remind people that or in wadis and desert wadis, but they're growing in the wild. And so there are third party verifications that really do a lot to help a consumer or a buyer for, for a fragrance house know that, that this frankincense is on the path to sustainability. 
It's a process. It's not an endpoint. So my project is Save Frankincense. And, and that's the project that, um, that I launched with some colleagues a few years ago to bring consumer awareness, to conduct research, and to make that available to the public, to buyers and also consumers across people who source it, to just provide a platform for information. Several companies buy frankincense and put a premium on that to give money to the to the project to verify. And so there are partnerships with NGOs that really bring a lot to the table for consumers to know what a company's doing to work towards sustainability and also ethics, right? And and, and good buying practices, which are just as important as the environmental sustainability. In that regard, you shouldn't just have to believe a company. They need to be able to give proof as well. And so one of those uh, tools is called blockchain. And blockchain has been used very successfully in supply chains to um, a, a good example is in the cannabis sector to blockchain from the seed, literally from the seed, where it was put, where it was planted, what tray was it in, what bag, what drying room, what truck, what dispensary. Yeah? And so all of that is blockchained and, and used um, to, to verify every movement of, of the material. We are blockchaining trees right now. So we're using QR codes, we're creating quadrants, where we can say resin came from this farm, was stored in this cave, came out on this camel, went into this warehouse, and then went to the distillery. That is amazing. It wasn't easy, but we were committed to, we were tired. My partners and I were tired of hearing every, you know, most, not everyone, but most of the conversation being, it's impossible. You just can't trace it or you just can't or you just can't and I was plugging my ears like you know I I don't hear you you're not going to tell us we can't and we have done it I mean it is possible we we've we've piloted this in the roughest locations to test ourselves if we could do this here then we could do this anywhere and so that's another um, option the blockchain not only gives you the ability to look at quadrants of trees and for me to verify their sustainability from my desk, but also the payments to people. And digital payments are the gold standard here. So these cash transactions are very problematic. They're really not effective because they're often, uh, you know, you get people on both sides refuting around these cash payments. And so blockchaining digital payments, which exists in places like Somalia who have ZAD and have the ability, it's very common to do digital payments, um, to also blockchain those payments as, as far down as you possibly can to the base, to get as close to base as you can and not just relying on a middleman or a supplier, an in-country supplier to do that for you, but to, as a as an external buyer, to work with your suppliers to go as close as you possibly can to the man who scraped it off the tree and to the woman who sorted the bark out. Now, there's still gonna be some work to get to that level, but we're able to get down several stages closer to that um, as of now. And that's all done with existing payment, uh, digital payment, 
apps that those countries, different countries use, but just blockchaining those transactions. One of the things I wanted to clarify for listeners and people viewing is that, you know, you are a scientist that's working in this field and that you are not a supplier per se. Uh, You are working with various suppliers. And actually that leads me to a really exciting portion of this dialogue is um, I've asked Anjanette to select a few different materials that are that have her that have your blessing and that have gone through this dialogue and this very careful sorting. Will you walk us through these five? And can you please shed a bit of light on the Boswellia species? And as you go through the different the different materials, um, kind of shed some light on potentially their their olfactive characters or what what differentiates them from another. Uh, let's start with Boswellia feriana. And and the reason why I want to start with it is because it's had a long-standing ancient trade. Mm, it smells like church to me. It's a a deep musty smell that kind of grounds me and then has a hint of uh uplifting and you know brings you back up and it this is what it looks like when it wow. comes from the tree. That's and this incredible. is actually a small tear. I mean these tears can get very large. And in fact, the larger they are, the more highly prized they are. Uh, before you before you go deeper into the Feriana, I, I think let's talk quickly about um, let's we're going to we're going to dance between two worlds, between the kind of the, the the phytochemical world and then the olfactive world, which obviously the two overlap with the when we start getting into the terpenes, uh, the main terpenoid that really makes up the, the robust quality of the frankincense is uh, D-limonene, if I'm not mistaken. D-pinine and D-limonene, I think, are the two that really lock together that, to create that that note. But more specifically from the phyto, the phytochemical side of it is that, you know, for from ancient, ancient, ancient primitive history, this material has been used uh, consistently beyond the anti-inflammatory and all these other things, but it's been consistently used in this aspect of, of uh, an analgesic that calms the mind, but, but yet it is always linked to spirituality. And you had alluded that you wanted to, to talk about this. And I think this is a great, you talked about, you know, the, the Boswellia feriana and that it's linked to having this church smell. And I just feel like it's the perfect time to talk about like, why, why do we, I mean, obviously if you grew up in any type of a Catholic or, you know, any type going to church, you, you recognize that it was burned uh, and you recognize that smell, but let's, let's, let's take it back into its pagan history. Yeah. So incensol acetate is the phytochemical that has, that is an entheogen that has an impact on our central nervous system and on our brain has a calming effect, a warming effect as, as it's um, sometimes referred to, but that ability of incensal acetate to alter your, your mind's state is why it is burned for meditation and for concentration on prayer. It, Absolutely. Ancients knew exactly why they were burning this to get the incensal acetate to impact the mind and to alter the state of the mind. And uh, there are other plants that are entheogens, but frankincense is one of them. And it has, uh, if you want to know the pathway, it interacts on the TRV, TRPV3 pathway. That's the limbic system, correct? Yes. So that's why it is used for as an anti-anxiety and antidepressant, ah. um, because often 
folks who are suffering from that have overactivity in the limbic system and the limbic part of their brain and calming that limbic system so a person can move back into their prefrontal cortex into their higher reasoning is so critical for so many people who are traumatized we live in a traumatized world we really do i mean we're we're facing all these climate change catastrophes, you know, people suffering, we're, we're definitely, even if you yourself don't suffer with depression or anxiety, you feel it. I mean, you feel it. And so frankincense has such a calming effect on the central nervous system and on the brain that it's so obvious to me, as you alluded to, why it's so popular right now. And, and as an essential oil for people to use it Uh, as a single source essential oil or as a blended frankincense oil, but using it directly instead of it being an additive in in a perfume, people wanting to be able to consume frankincense directly. And if you do, you know, research into the mystical, you know, many, 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 and even some Christian philosophy, you know, there's a lot of uh, discussion about the idea of the body uh, being the temple and that there is these these um, parallels that are being drawn that depending on how you read them, that there's the parallel of the the temple or the temple, meaning you are the temple and the concept of of celebrating the temple and uh, using materials like frankincense to awaken this aspect and to the godly or whatever whatever you know higher force that you believe in, a lot of mystics believe that this lives within you, that it's part of you, it flows through you. And so these materials like frankincense, I really believe very strongly that these materials are used to awaken that spirituality and to bring you into your temple and allow you to connect with something that is higher. What would be your next frankincense? I think I'll go to the Royal Hojari Sakra. This one's quite green. You can see that, which makes it Royal Hojari. And and Sakra and Carteri are the same botanical species. Uh, Carteri is more of a trade name. It's used in, to, to, to say that it's from Somaliland or Somalia. Um, but their scents between Sakra and Carteri are very similar because they are the same species. But this in particular is the Royal Hojari, which um, I take this one internally quite a lot. So stop there for a second. That that's I, I'm so this is wonderful the way that we're kind of dancing in and out of these subjects. So let's talk about uh, taking it internally. So is it one for everyone? We're going to talk about some some uh, very abstract way of working with frankincense. Consult a medical practitioner. This is not verified, so don't take our word as gospel. Uh, but let's talk about taking it internally and how do you do that? Do you do you use the essential oil or what do you use? Just overall, I don't take essential oils internally unless a trained aromatherapist has given me a protocol. We should be aware that they're highly concentrated plant medicine. And and just because they're from natural sources doesn't always mean that it's safe to take them internally. Absolutely. You also don't know, you know, the other thing I wanted to get into with frankincense essential oil is its distillation technique. You know, that's another thing that's a very important aspect that if you're going to take these materials internally, that you really should be asking, you know, are they steam distillate? You know, are they being distilled through hexanol or some other material? And then, of course, there's the question of like how much of that material is still present in the final product. But yeah. with taking uh, Boswell Sacra, so are you grinding the resin? I have a little mortar and pestle and. And just, I mean, really just a tiny bit 
um, I'll break off. I'll grind it up and put it in some warm water and drink it. I love it. I do the same thing. And can you explain its taste profile? Well, the limonene makes it a little sweet to me. And the boswellic acids make it a little bitter. So then you taste and smell the terpenes as you're taking it internally. And it sweetens my breath, I find. You know, it's it smells good on you <laughs> when you've taken it internally. And so um, it's that it's kind of this this conversation between sweet and bitter and piney. Uh, you, there's the pining in there, too, that that sometimes it almost smells like taking some pine sap or a pine needle as well. And so the complexity of frankincense is so amazing to me that, that the plant can, that the tree can produce all of this um, blows me away. Why would you choose the Boswelli Sacra over potentially like the Theriana? What would be the reasoning between the two? And then what are the benefits of taking it internally? The Feriana does not have the boswellic acids in it. It has something different called lupiol. And so I stick with the resins that contain boswellic acids because we have so much research on the use of boswellic acids as an anti-inflammatory. And in today's world, whether you have an inflammatory condition or not, we're exposed to contaminants that induce inflammation in our body and inflammation is connected to so many health problems. It's a root cause, you know, it's at the base of so many health problems that anything I could do to be reducing inflammation naturally, um, I'm all for that as we live in a you know world with a lot of inflammatory chemicals and stress and other things that cause inflammation in the system, food sources, et cetera, water, uh, that's not clean. And so, um, I choose Sakra slash Carteri for that because I love the taste, one, um, and because I'm getting a nice dose of boswellic acids. You know, there's a lot of ways that you can try to mimic high-end frankincense with using resins like Alemi, but there's nothing like the real thing. What you're commenting on too, though, is that frankincense essential oil is one of the most adulterated essential oils on the market. It's it's up there with the group of limited supply, expensive. Um, and so also having so much demand, it is often adulterated. So having pure tested uh, frankincense essential oils is critical that it's been tested well, that you do know, as you said, how it was distilled and where it was sourced to know that you really are getting a clean product uh, because many on the market are not. And, and that's something people should know. When you say not clean, um, can you shed some light on potentially like what would be some of the things that might be added to or, or what, would, what, would it, what would adulterate it? So sometimes adulteration means you think you're getting one species, but it's been substituted or cut with another. So that's quite common, right? So adulteration is when you knowingly cut something with a carrier oil or with another oil or an extracted terpene like alpha pinene or limonene to add in to create something that smells similar to a frankincense, um, but when tested in a lab, expert chemists can see that it was adulterated. Now, contamination is sometimes not intentional, right? Where, oops, something, you know, a a container leached 
uh, something into the oil or something happened in distillation that, like you mentioned, hexane uh, not being removed completely. And so you get contamination, sometimes unintentionally, but sometimes even after discovering it, it's intentionally put on the market, even though it has contamination. And so this is where you buy your fragrances or essential oils from companies that drill down and really test and know what they're working with because people are indiscriminately spraying things on themselves that are extremely bad for their health. Even if they think it's quote unquote natural, um, it can often be contaminated or adulterated. And if you're not even worried about natural, many of the synthetic and most of your listeners will know this already, but most of the perfumes on the market Literally, if they were in a 50 gallon barrel, they would be considered toxic waste, you know, with benzene. And, and, and it's so frightening. You know, I have nieces who were here and they were spraying perfume and, and I had to confiscate the bottles from them. I say, you know, this is toxic stuff. You can't be playing with this. It, oh, somebody gave me this at a birthday party. You know, I mean, it's so um, it's so pervasive. And I really get mad at celebrities for this. Um, you know, who they're total badass women, you know, they make these incredible careers and then they produce a perfume that's toxic waste. <laughs> yeah. It's a very good point. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think that, you know, we are obviously the fringe of, of this movement that's happening right now. And it's very, it's imperative that, you know, we really speak to this. And I think, you know, I always really perfume for me. And I, I think that the best way for me to really understand it is I, I was an artist before I became a perfumer. Perfume has followed me my whole life. And as, as someone who loves perfume and loves art and loves artists so much, I don't believe that there is, if you were to say to me that you can only make art one way and you can only make art, like if you were to say to me, well, you can only make art and you can only paint with blue paint for the rest of your life, then I would say you're crazy because that's not going to happen. But I think that it's imperative to be able to give people options that they, they really need to be able to understand what, what perfume is and what it's made from. And once you understand it, then you can make your own decisions. It's just like your eating habits or exercise or whatever the case is. You have to approach things from understanding what the consequences are. Should you continue with this habit or continue to do these things? And then you make your educated choices. But I also don't think it's fair to say, well, they're doing it wrong. It's just, they're doing it differently, you know, and they're, they're doing it differently because it it's one, a lot of people really don't understand it. And two, it's a very cost-effective way of doing it and making very high margins on a product that, you know, you can, if tied to a celebrity, you can sell millions of bottles to, and there's a great profit margin. So of course it's very desirable, but the problem is, is that I think that consumers right now are really interested in conversations that you and I are having right now. They want to drill into understanding the blockchaining, if you will, of where it came from. And that's what's so important about, about what we both love and what we're both doing. Right. Well, and in the case of there, there's a place for synthetics and there's a time for that, but it isn't on something that you're spraying into your, onto your skin. Something that's so intimate. Absolutely. It's so intimate, the relationship between your what you put on your skin um, and what's absorbed by your body, it's going directly into your, you know, to your bloodstream. So so when we put things on our skin, that's an intimate exchange. And we we have to be aware of what we're putting on our skin. And if it's not, 
if you're, if you can't eat it, it shouldn't be really going on your skin. That's true. Right. And so, because you're absorbing it through your skin. Well, we are the earth. We evolved here. And if it's not good for my body, then it's not good for the earth's body either. So we want to think about when we are using products that it's good for us. It needs to be good for the planet and vice versa. And so Sakra, Carteri, the both are used heavily in the perfume industry. They're also the star child, as you said, of the essential oil world right now. So, so this is the most sought after. And I think so because mm, ah, it's such an invigorating yet sweet and lovely smell. Once those base notes hit, that's what grounds me. So my first inhalation is uplifting and a little exciting, like, ah, you know, up and then I wait for it. I wait for it. And then those base notes hit and that grounds me. And that's something I love about frankincense is it has the ability to kind of uplift my mind at the same time ground me. Absolutely. Mm. You couldn't have, uh, I don't think that you could have wrapped up Basweli Sakra and, and a better, better adjectives. It was, you hit all the notes that I would have referenced and all the reasons why I love to use it. Yeah. So what would be next on your, uh, your favorite? It has to be Papyrophera. This one is from Sudan. It has something in it called octal acetate. And mm. um, the other ones we've talked about do not. And so it has a distinctly different note. Somehow I relate it to being clean. And it, it does make it a little bitter when you, when you chew it, but it's high in the boswellic acids. So it's very understandable why this was burned in churches and still is. It's burned all across Ethiopia in coffee ceremony. So they, they burn frankincense while they're roasting coffee in a ceremonial sense. Not if you're going to go into your cafe and just grab a cup, um, but used locally, traditionally, and also heavily traded. Uh, a lot of this goes into tradi traditional Chinese medicine, but I love it for that unique scent that it has that none of the other ones have. It's just it's a note in there and it smells clean and fresh. Mm, I just, I adore it. It's not often sold as a single source essential oil because it's low yielding in oil, the resin. So it's quite expensive, um, papyrophera essential oil. But when it's added in along with other frankincense or blended, oh, it just gives the most amazing note, that clean, fresh note. Um, I'm not a perfumer, so I hope my terminology is lining up well. No, perfectly. <laughs> perfectly. Those are three that you would expect me to say, right? So if you have any frankincense uh, experts or frankincense lovers there, of course, you know, she went for those three. So, so now let me just do a couple that aren't as widely used um, because those are the three queen kings of the, of the king of essential oils. Um, and so... I'm going to go to West Africa now. It's really interesting that West Africa has a species of Boswellia frankincense called Dalzielii. I love that name too. Um, but it's not as recognized in the frankincense world because traditionally we see coming from Ethiopia, Somalia, Oman, Yemen, being the heart of frankincense territory historically. And yet there are 
frankincense tree is species that grow in West Africa. And the smell of Dalzielii is lighter than some of the others. Its top notes um, give me kind of a dreamy, I get a, a dreamy state from smelling Dalzielii. Its lightness allows me to kind of float with the clouds. And these trees, all of the research samples that I've ever collected came from self-exuding trees. So- oh. Yeah, explain a bit about that. I think that a lot of people will find that really fascinating. Yeah. So when I was mentioning about this being part of the tree's immune system and coming out when natural breaks or things happen to the tree, you can mimic cutting the tree as a human being to tap the tree. So you can make small incisions into the thin bark, not too deep, very shallow, that will allow the resin to seep out. And then you do that for a certain period of time, a few months usually. And every 10 to two weeks, a harvester will come and scrape off what has formed on the wound and clean it off. And then the wound goes at it again, trying to close itself up and you keep scraping it off. And then you leave it alone on the last tap and you let the tree cover its wound. If that's done within the traditional guidelines, which for hundreds of years, people have passed down knowledge of how to sustainably manage the trees. This isn't something Western science uh, imparted to the world. It's something I learned from traditional elders, and then it matches with the science, the, the traditional methods. And so traditional methods call for you know, a certain amount of taps per tree based on its size and its age and its health. And in many cases for a tree about that big around, you'll have nine to 12 taps. That's it. And you'll do that for a few months out of the year. And you'll Okay, so that's a one-year cycle. It's a one-year cycle. Maybe you'll do two rounds in the same year, depending on the rainy season. And you'll do, you'll tap this same tree year one, tap it again year two, but then you let it rest in year three. So resting the trees has been a very important part of keeping the trees viable and propagating for hundreds of years. It's something we now need to really recognize that these trees need to rest. It's just like tapping for maple syrup or anything else where you can't continuously tap. You cannot continuously tap or you kill the tree. The, the other part is if you put too many cuts on a tree, you're gonna open it up to infection, you're gonna open it up to boring insects, and it just won't have the strength to close all of those cuts, right? I've seen trees with 125 taps on them and the tree is literally dying in front of me. And so that, that is also not sustainable. You, you gotta let it rest and you gotta put a certain amount of taps and not go over that and you gotta do the taps properly. Then there's also trees that are so prolific that if you just help it a little bit, it will self-exude, right? So they self-exude all of them if there's a cut or a break. It's a mechanism of the tree. If you support that a little bit, if you help open that up, it will self-exude quite a bit. You won't need to slash cut. So Boswellia reve and Boswellia neglecta R2 and Dalzielia in many cases are not, you don't need to actually cut the tree because you can just help the self-exudates come out more effectively for our, our purposes. The tree is doing fine on its own. And so those are very exciting to me 
because this allows for us to potentially not cause as much harm or injury to the tree. But even if you are tapping the tree, there are ways to do it that the tree will be fine. Yeah, it's, I'm a tree hugger. It's hard for me to see the trees cut. It is hard for me. I mean, like, you know, I, I, even if it's done properly, like the guys try to get me to make taps and I don't want to tap the tree. However, I recognize that it can be done very sustainably and has for centuries. And do you feel that there's an olfactive difference between self-exuding and ones that have been cut? Only in so far as if the tree is being killed by being tapped, that we'll see a decline in the size of the tears, the quality, the color. We have been working on trying to differentiate how that changes the chemistry. So there is some work around that, but just even visual inspection, you could see color changes or crumbly small little tears that didn't weren't able to form because the tree doesn't have enough vitality. So I can visually look at resins and say, whoa, this came from a tree that should have been left alone. Um, and the chemistry is a, a few steps behind that and tracking that. Um, but it only makes sense, right? That the tree might go into emergency mode or not. I mean, it might stay the same. There are resins that start to turn red, almost look like blood. And the traditional knowledge says, leave that tree alone if that happens. You know, if you're tapping and the resin doesn't look a certain way as it's supposed to, to leave that tree alone, that sometimes can be an indication. The, the Dalzielii trees are quite big. Um, I had a great time standing back and looking and seeing a Dalzielii tree next to a baobab tree. I was like, this is too cool. You know, on these kind of very broad open plains oh, wow. uh, in Burkina Faso, uh, Mali, parts of northern Nigeria. Um, unfortunately, I can't work on the ground there, but I've worked in Burkina Faso quite a bit on Dalzielii. And it's an interesting conundrum there. The trees are not tapped traditionally. They're more bark stripped for medicinal, local medicinal uses. And introducing more tapping is a conservation mechanism to give more value to the trees so that the communities can tend them better instead of cutting them down for firewood or fodder for livestock or just clearing them for agriculture. So um, the tapping can be part of saving the trees. The tapping doesn't have to be what kills the trees. The tapping done sustainably and traditionally can be what saves the tree ultimately because it gives value for folks who are living in abject poverty to protect that tree as a source of income. So tears are normally and traditionally hydro distilled and some of those hydro systems also use steam or some are steam distilled. So those are a crossover in the middle, um, but those are the two most common, either steam or hydro. Um, I would say most of the old world craftspeople prefer hydro distillation, which is literally, you know, cooking it in a big pot of water. If people would actually see it, it's such a it's such a primitive process. You know, it sounds a lot more high tech than it truly is. Oh yeah, it's not. It's it's really straightforward. Uh, you just don't want to burn your batch, right? It's it's uh, like someone who knows how to make a good sancocho or a, a good soup, and you you really understand the timing and when to add ingredients and not to burn it. It's very similar to making an incredible soup. And so, as it's cooking in this pot, the steam goes up into a condenser, 
where it cools and the oil droplets come out into a collector. People have been doing different forms of hydro distillation for hundreds and hundreds of years. And you mentioned sandalwood, uh, which was cooked in big pots and, and collected in a very similar way. I've seen condensers that are pipes that run through a cold river to get them to cool down that are very old distillation uh, units. And so we've been uh, tinkering with distillation for quite some time. You had said earlier about the Oman frankincense tier that you showed us uh, as being clean. And I think that was an interesting touch point that I wanted to bring up is it's frightening to think how accessible frankincense tears are now. It's wonderful and also maybe a little bit concerning um, because you can literally log on to Amazon and you can order yourself some frankincense tears. Now, the big question is, is their cleanliness? Do you know what I mean? And about, you know, when you said the word clean, it really stood out to me. What to you would constitute a, a clean product? First and foremost means that it's actually what it says on the label. And so often things will be mislabeled as the wrong species or the wrong type of resin. So that that's one form. Another form is that uh, of clean is the removal of bark and pebbles and anything. You know, sometimes the resin drips to the ground and you have to clean that. In the sorting process, women painstakingly sort these resins before they get to someone and look like this for me. I mean, to have, you know, a whole jar of just clean resins was a lot of hours of a woman's work to, to sort out any pebbles or bark or even insects that kind of got stuck there, uh, things like that. Um, one time I opened a bag of frankincense in a big sack and there was a pair of underwear in there. <laughs> <laughs> Not clean. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, I don't know, guys. Um, so, so, of course, any of these human things like our masks or gloves or, you know, somebody's underwear um, getting into a bag, th those kind of things, keeping it clean. So it being what it says it is. Sometimes it's, it might not even be frankincense. It could be something else or it could be a different species. Um, how well sorted it is and then how free of it is it from other human contaminants like objects or I've had clients who've had to reject batches because it smelled like diesel fumes or, you know, got contaminated with something, the resins and shipment or went into a shipping container that had you know, residual chemicals, something like that. And so a lot of care has to be taken at every step along the supply chain to make sure that it's, that the resins are clean. And then also clean distillation, as you mentioned, that really good distillation practices are being used that, that yield a clean oil. I don't know as much about chemical distillation. Most of the extraction to just get the boswellic acids out are either most commonly now is CO2 extraction. Neglecta, it's not used too much. There's been a lot of neglectas on the market that were just not distilled properly and the oils were just too strong. It's a strong one. It just gets me out of my seat. I mean, like I smelled, I literally wanted to stand up. The It's very high in alpha pinene, neglecta, and it makes me want to get into motion. But this is a black frankincense. It, it's a dark color, the, the resin. And this essential oil, you know, one of the lesser used, but it's got a 
place in my heart. And, and Reve would be the last one. This one has this unique note, right? So these we're talking about these three, the Dolls, the LEI, the Neglecta, and the Reve coming from self-exudates mostly can be tapped, you can help the tree along, but a lot of self-exudates that are less used in the market than the three that we described, we talked about in the beginning. And I don't know why the market's not using more Reve. It's just a lovely scent. It reminds me of like a hug from my aunt who smells really good. Oh, wow. You know, someone who I really love hugging me, who's got a nice scent on that's not overpowering, right. um, that's inviting. I think we're going to hear more about these three in the years to come. They certainly have their place in in the lineage of frankincense. Um, but of those three, uh, you'll have to be the deciding factor of how they how well they work in perfumery and 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 how they blend. You know, we're gonna we're gonna get you lots of samples to play with. Well what I'm excited about is offering these to our listeners more than anything, you know, perfume is so subjective and it's so interesting to hear when you get these really unique materials, especially a very unique material from a source that I feel really good about. You know, that's the part I think too, that I wanted to really express is that, you know, this has been a journey that I'm on and that I want, I'm excited to take everyone who's listening to this on with me with as well to learn about this material and to be, to be able to be better, you know what I mean? And to be conscious of what we're doing and to have to play a bigger role in the decisions that we're making with these materials in perfume making and, you know, in a lot of, of wellness that these materials become very popular. They gain, you know, they become the it thing and then everyone's running for it. And, but then we'll quickly forget, you know, who's harvesting it. What, what, how long did it take to get there? Do those, do these migrant workers and do these people that have this knowledge, you know, do they have clean water? Do they have medical? Do they have like these things that are accessible to them? And so, you know, with natural, the natural world, it's really imperative that from a brand's perspective, that you're conscious of these things and we're really trying to move towards something that's a lot more sustainable and that these efforts are much more broad. I applaud you and your company for that because we, we, need, we need more companies doing that because the, the solution now, because many of your listeners and viewers will have heard that there's problems with frankincense, that there's problems with sustainability and there's problems with ethics or problems with adulteration, any of, the, any of these things, but specifically about the sustainability and almost a knee-jerk reaction for Westerners is after we've loved something to death is to say, okay, we're just going to stop using it. And that is a catastrophe all in of itself. So we fall in love with something and we use a lot of it. We need to be aware of how we're using it. And as you said, what's going on at the base but not just walk away if now our love turned into overuse and has hurt the source. We have to stay in it, use frankincense that's being produced from suppliers and harvesters and companies that is sustainable, that's uplifting people. You know, and so we don't want to just stop using frankincense. That's not the solution. That would have conservation impacts and also livelihood impacts that are deleterious in and of themselves. I should note to your listeners that the United Nations, the, the CITES, which is the uh, Convention on the Trade of Threatened and Endangered Species, is right now reviewing the genus of Boswellia for potential listing as a threatened species to have regulation for permits 
to be able to trade frankincense. And this is very controversial. Some people feel like that will help. Some people feel like that will hurt and make things worse, that there'll be uh, an illegal trade uh, of an informal economy, so to speak, that would move around the regulations. Some countries feel like because uh, their governance is weak that they won't be able to obtain the permits. And so right now there is a lot of attention on what do we as a global community, how do we work together to make things better for the trees and for the communities that harvest and bring these products to the world? And how do companies responsibly source and pass along that product to their consumer base? And so having these opportunities to talk about this, I'm so grateful because the more consumer awareness and the more we get people as passionate as people are about frankincense, now we need folks to be passionate about the trees and the people who really sometimes risk their lives to collect these resins. I hope that this is just the beginning of something incredible with Heretic around making some of these uh, available to your folks. And for those folks to also join, you know, go give a like to Save Frankincense page. Uh, I know it's a small thing, but it's a consumer education platform. Um, And so, you know, just checking it out on Facebook or you know, sending me a LinkedIn request to create a community, right? Because the more that we work together and we share our passion around this, we can do this. We can make this better. This is not a foregone conclusion like, oh, frankincense is going extinct. No, it's not. We have places where the trees are pristine, where no one's touching them right now. We have places where the trees are overtapped and are dying out. This is part of our overall mission on planet Earth right now is how can we deal with the problems that are facing us and see the problems as also the solution. If these trees have taught me anything, it's that in the most unlikely situation, an alchemist can produce 300 phytochemicals that are good for its own immune system and good for mine. And that is enough of a, if the trees can do that, if they can grow on rock and and produce and do all that, well, I live in some fertile ground being connected to you, Douglas, to all of you. And that fertile ground, we can do anything. You know, we really can put our minds to making things better. Um, and, and, and that's not just me blowing rainbows into the sky. It, that's real. You know, we see the positive impact that happens when we work collaboratively with each other um, and, and, and look for solutions instead of just get bogged down in the problem. And it's really important for all of us, for our mental health, right? So take some frankincense before you watch the news. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I know that we'll be having more conversations in the future if you'll join us again. And thank you again. And uh, we will be sharing all of the links to Save Frankincense. And if listeners wanted to follow up and they wanted to find you, can they do that through Save Frankincense? Or how would they do that? You can message me through the Save Frankincense page on Facebook, but I'm also on LinkedIn. And I'm, I'm lucky because I'm the only Anjanette DiCarlo with my exact spelling, <laughs> which really works out well for me, both on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, and so, yeah, I'm always happy to get messages from people, questions, anything. Uh, I'm always happy to, to respond. 